Chapter Two of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Two. Creel told me afterwards what had happened, and I will set it down here in its proper place. The old man was looking through his mail when Creel walked in, and his face was as black as a thundercloud. There was a time when he enjoyed going through his mail. I know, because I started in as an office boy, and I remember how he used to come running out with this letter or that letter and read us bits of them. When he first got into the moving pictures game, he usually managed to keep several jumps ahead of the other fellows, and it was roses, roses all the way, as I read in a title the other night. In other words, exhibitors, critics, and the public generally were always handing him bouquets. It's wonderful how little it takes to please them. But now it was only brickbats and cancellations. All the producers were getting them, of course, for the public was growing more and more exacting, and competition was fiercer than it had ever been. But the old man thought he was getting more than his share, and they worried him. It wasn't so much the money loss. It was more the loss of prestige. He had always boasted that his trademark was a guarantee of quality, that any picture with his name on it was a good picture. And he had believed it, too, and so had the public. The critics got to calling him the Belasco of Filmdom, but they hadn't called him that for a long time now. Worse still, his public seemed gradually to be deserting him. The old man did everything he could. He corralled the biggest stars in the country, he spent money like water, but somehow money didn't seem to be able to turn the trick. The higher the salary he paid a star, the more money he spent on a production, the flatter it seemed to fall. There was something lacking. Creel said it was imagination. Anyway, it was evidently something that money couldn't buy, and the old man fretted. He lost weight, his temper grew uncertain, so the light in his eye wasn't exactly dove-like when he looked up and saw Creel come in. It had always been Creel's privilege to go in without knocking, something like wearing one's hat in the presence of royalty. "'I was just going to send for you,' said the old man. "'Read that!' and he thrust a letter into Creel's hand. It was a cancellation from one of his oldest and most important exhibitors. It meant the loss of the best house in a town of two hundred thousand people. The letter had plainly been written with great reluctance. He had tried to hold on, the fellow said. He had held on, longer than he would for anybody else, but it wasn't any use. His public wouldn't stand it, and he couldn't afford to lose any more money. The soul of Rachel had finished it, and he ventured a kindly word of advice. The Apex people were putting out stuff with pep in it. Why not take a cue from them? Anyway, for a while at least he was going to run the Apex program. He's right about the soul of Rachel being a rotten picture, said Creel, as he handed the letter back. You made it, said the old man. I know I did, but it was the same old stuff. It was so old it stank. I did the best I could, but the public is tired of being buncoed. Sit down, said the old man, who knew as well as anybody that Creel was the best director in the business, and that there were half a dozen other companies eager to snap him up and pay him more money. He also knew that it wasn't money Creel was working for, but love of the game, and he respected him as well as liked him. What are we going to do? If it were my plan, says Creel, sitting down, the first thing I would do would be to fire that bunch of office boys and cash girls you've got in there under the name of scenario editors. Who will I get in place of them? If you didn't get anybody, you wouldn't be any worse off than you are, and you'd save a lot of money. There isn't an idea in the bunch. Never has been, for that matter. The only ideas they've ever had they've stolen from other people. Go on, says the old man, chewing his cigar. Go on. I intend to go on, says Creel. 
the next thing I would do would be to get a man who knew something for the head of my editorial department. Not a cheap reporter, or a bum actor, or a rounder from the tenderloin, not a roughneck like you and me, but a man who was the real thing, a man who was really educated, a man of culture and imagination, who knew art and literature, who was interested in the possibilities of this business, and who wasn't afraid of work. All right, said the old man, give me his address and I'll phone him to come right down. I wish I could, said Creel with a sigh, but such a man must exist somewhere, and some day we'll find him. And in the meantime, asked the old man, in the meantime, we'll have to worry along the best we can, but there's one thing you can do, write a personal letter, no rubber stamp affair, to a list of novelists and dramatists I'll make out for you, inviting them to submit ideas or short synopses, and telling them three things, that you'll read their stuff yourself, not turn it over to an office boy, and that you'll guarantee that it will not be stolen, that any scenario that is made from it will be submitted to them for suggestions and approval before it's filmed, and that you intend to pay well. And when I say well, I mean well, up to $10,000 for a ten-page synopsis. The old man rolled his cigar to the other side of his mouth. Creel, you're crazy, he said. The synopsis is the very smallest item in the cost of a picture. Yes, it always has been, Creel retorted. That's just what's the matter. How much did you lose on the soul of Rachel? Twenty thousand? All of that. You'd have made that much or probably more if there'd been a real idea back of it. It was a good film, but it didn't get anywhere. It just fizzled out. It's ideas we want, and the only way to get them is to pay for them. Ten thousand per idea is pretty steep. Listen, said Creel. There's one thing motion picture people don't seem to understand. When a man writes a novel or a play, the money he gets out of it is the smallest part of his reward, though it's frequently a good many times ten thousand dollars. At least, it isn't only the money he's working for, not if he's the real thing. He's working in the first place, of course, for the love of it, as every artist must, but he's also working for fame. Away in the back of his head is the hope that a hundred years from now somebody will be reading his book and enjoying it, or if it's a play, it's the first night he thinks about, the excitement, the applause and all that, and the name he'll make for himself. We haven't any such reward to offer. We can't promise a man immortality, so we've got to do our best to make it up in cash. I agree, grunted the old man. Anything else? Only one thing, and that is that worthwhile men have pride in their work. They won't stand by and see it butchered. No publisher would dream of altering a word in a book without the author's consent, and we've got to be just as careful. When the right men know they can trust us, and that we'll treat them fairly and courteously, I believe we can interest them, but not before. All right, said the old man. Give me your list, and I'll send out the letters. But we can't shut up shop while these literary lights are gestating. We've got to have two releases a week. What are you going to do next? Got any idea? Creel's face, which had been overcast, suddenly lighted up. The best I ever had, he answered. The old man looked at Creel quickly. He hadn't been expecting an answer like that. It was something of a shock after all that had gone before. Let's have it, he said. Creel dived into his pocket and got out his notebook and fished out a newspaper clipping. This synopsis, he began, has been furnished by a fellow named W. E. Hanley. I never heard of him, but that only shows how ignorant I am, for he surely knows how to write. How much will it cost? asked the man. It won't cost a cent, said Creel. The author is dead, worse luck, and it was never copyrighted, not in this country anyway. Read it. And he tossed it across the desk. The old man picked it up and glanced at it. Why? It's a poem, he said. It is, said Creel. And for the rest of my days I'm going to spend my spare time reading poetry. 
It's a regular gold mine. What do you think of the first nugget? The old man looked at the clipping again, and this is what he read. Or ever the nightly years were gone, with the old world to the grave. I was a king in Babylon, and you were a Christian slave. I saw, I took, I cast you by, I bent and broke your pride. You loved me well, or I heard them lie, but your longing was denied. Surely I knew that by and by you cursed your gods and died. And a myriad suns have set and shone since then upon the grave, decreed by the king in Babylon to her that had been his slave. The pride I trampled is now my scathe, for it tramples me again. The old resentment lasts like death, for you love, yet you refrain. I break my heart on your hard unfaith, and I break my heart in vain. Yet not for an hour do I wish undone the deed beyond the grave, when I was a king in Babylon, and you were a virgin slave. Do you get it? asked Creel when the old man had finished. The old man nodded. I kind of get it, he said. And the title, there it is, A King in Babylon. The old man nodded again and read the poem through a second time. Of course, I haven't got it worked out yet, Creel went on. But the more I think about it, the more possibilities I see. I'm just going to rough it in now. I'll work out the details on the way over. The way over where? asked the old man. The way over to Egypt, says Creel. Oh, says the old man. Are you going to Egypt? There's no use to go to Babylon, says Creel. I was looking just the other day at a picture of the ruins. They've been excavating there, you know. But they're just a lot of fragments of brick walls, like houses after a fire and the country round about is as ugly as a mud fence. We could build some ruins, the old man suggested. No, we couldn't. The people would spot the fake at once and despise it. I want this to be the real thing. Ruins and natives and atmosphere and everything. The only place to get atmosphere is on the spot. Egypt is the place. Magnificent ruins, atmosphere so thick you can cut it with a knife, and a sort of reputation for mystery, which is just what we want in this picture. But great Scott Creel, said the old man, I can't afford to send an expedition to Egypt. It would cost a hundred thousand dollars. No, it won't. If this picture costs over thirty thousand, you can take it out of my salary. Some of the stuff, of course, can be done here. For the Egyptian stuff, I'll take only six or seven people. I'll need a lot of natives, but they're cheap. I don't believe in crowds anyway, except as a background. How about costumes? asked the old man. They'll cost something, for they've got to be right. But we'll need only a few elaborate ones. Hmm, said the old man, looking along his nose. I don't mind telling you, Creel, I guess you know it anyway, that we've got to do something pretty soon or quit. Do you really think this is it? Yes, said Creel, I really do. Well then, said the old man, go ahead, and don't stint yourself, do it right. We've got some pretty fair stuff ready for the next three months, and if this turns out all right, we'll make it our big spring release. Maybe by that time we'll have heard from some of these authors, or maybe you'll have found that highbrow wonder you were talking about. Who do you want for the leads? I want Jimmy Allen for one. All right, I can get him. And Felice Tabor for the other. The old man frowned. He didn't like Felice Tabor. She's under contract to the Apex, he objected. And I'd hate to ask any favors of those people. Won't anybody else do? She's the type, said Creel, and she can act. The old man grunted skeptically. I never thought so, he said. But if you want her, I'll see what I can do. Anybody else? No. Nobody but people we've got. I'll take my wife and Molly Adams as seconds, and Digby to fill in and look after the props, and I want Billy Williams for the cameraman, and, oh yes, plenty of film, fifteen thousand feet anyway. 
and it will have to be special film for tropical work. You'd better order it right away. All right, said the old man again, and picked up his pen. Let me know how you're getting on, he added, as Creel rose. I will, said Creel, and started for the door. And Creel, added the old man when his hand was on the knob, don't think I don't appreciate all you're doing. I do. And I'm ready to back you to my last cent. And Creel was so overwhelmed by this unexampled outburst that he didn't get his breath till he was out in the yard again. Then he took off his hat and ran his fingers through his hair, and I'm sure that his eyes were a little moist. Things must be worse than I thought, he said to himself. Well, old boy, it's up to you. And with that, he went home to lunch and told the news to his wife. End of chapter 2